We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Title Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, David Thay, joined by Dr. J and Scott the Status Assassin. Gentlemen, tell the people what's up. We talking basketball today? <laughs> Dogs are 12 and 3. The king is dead. Long live the king. Long live the new king. Um, so if you're new to the show, make sure to like and subscribe on social media. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us at gmail.com, although no one ever does. Okay, so um, since we last podcasted, um, Georgia committed a hate crime on FSU. Uh, Nick Saban retired. Don't know if you know that. But if you haven't, you've been living under a rock. And we've had some player traffic in the portal. So um, let's just jump right into the recap of the Orange Bowl. This feels like cold news because, you know, the game was played two weeks ago. But we've been wanting to wait till the college football season was completely over to really do this recap because there's so many other things that that go into the season. And now that now I'm glad we did because the biggest news in college football and probably since the 14 playoff was announced happened this week. Um, but back to the Orange Bowl. Anything to point out? We're not going to recap the game blow by blow. It was a massacre. Um, I think anybody that knew anything about the situation through teams knew that it could get ugly. I don't think anybody thought that ugly. Um, biggest bowl win in history? <laughs> Didn't see that one coming. I, I would have told you we would win, like, I think I predicted like 34 to 10 or something like that. Um, but anything we didn't already know, any observations y'all had from the game? Speaking of what you just said, David, about the biggest bowl win in history, I, I think I can safely say that we broke a record that will never, ever be broken again, which was in consecutive years set yeah. the all-time record for the largest bowl win in history and did it both years against top five teams. Um, a lot of weird things have to happen for that to happen even once, much less to happen twice. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think anybody's ever going to do that ever again. Yeah, it's I mean, you saw a lot what happens when when one team is invested and one team is not. And I think you also that was something you kind of knew was probably going to happen. Right. One team would be a little mm. more invested and one not. Uh, people can all talk forever about whether they should or shouldn't be invested and in, so on and so forth. But what you also saw was the recruiting at a high level and the depth on both lines of scrimmage. And that is something that played out in the Michigan-Washington game. And that was also playing out in the Georgia-Florida State game at the same time that you had the motivation issue because our first string couldn't beat our second string nearly that badly. Not a chance, right? Yeah. So it, it was both of those at once. And and then when it gets out of hand, of course, yeah, it gets out of hand. And. I kind of put on Facebook my thought process as I'm watching the game. You know, first half, I'm like, okay, like our starters are significantly better than their backups. Then, like, second, third quarter, I'm like, okay, like our backups are still way better than their backups. Then fourth quarter, it's like, hey, we might need to get a watch on. Might not avail y'all. Like, y'all start y'all start praying for him. <laughs> you know, to, to me, in some ways – the Orange Bowl, which of course was not a CFP game, mm -hmm. really became the referendum on the CFP. Yeah, in a, in, mm -hmm. in a way that no other CFP games actually have 
save except for maybe the Georgia TCU game last year, yeah. which was another game that was like, people are like, does this really work? Is this, is this the national championship game we should have had? I mean, to me, the lasting question from the orange bowl about both teams was should Georgia have been in the CFP and also should Florida state have been in the CFP? I think those, you know, um, obviously on selection Sunday, the hot topic was Florida state and should Florida state have been in or not should Georgia have been in or not was not really a hot topic Mm-mm, nationally on selection Sunday. But by the time we got to the end of the season and especially on the day of the orange bowl, then that became the topic. Well, wait a minute, forget about Florida state. What about Georgia? How did Georgia end up at sixth? I think in, now, in the rankings that, that became the question. That's the, the joke. Bowl. You could not put us in because we lost our playoff game to Alabama. That, that was a de facto playoff game, and we lost. So you could not put us in because, as Scott has pointed out many times, they don't actually put in the four best teams. So right. based on the criteria they've used in the past, you could not put us in. Even though we've been ranked in Florida, Florida State the entire year, you drop us behind them knowing that we're better than them. We're immediately a two-touchdown favorite, even when they had their guys ready for the game, and it, and you got what you got. And so the truth is both of us should have been in the college football playoff. But you created a stupid system where you can only have – uh, four teams in, even though you have five power conferences, or what used to be five power conferences, it was bound to happen at some point. Now you have three power conferences. Two. <laughs> you have two. You have two power conferences, and then you have I'll give a the second ACC. tier. You have a second tier that's the ACC, and then you have a third tier that's the Big Twelve. Yeah, what's mm. left of the Big Twelve? Yeah. So I mean, and so I was going through, going through this with my brother-in-law before. You know, talking about like, so if they do these automatic bids, the four highest ranked conference champions, the Conference USA champ is going to be a four seed at one, some point. Yeah. Because you're going to have Georgia with two losses who didn't make the SC championship game, but is ranked third in the country. And they're going to be the five seed. And Tulane, who went undefeated in their conference and is really good, but they're ranked 11th, is going to be a four seed. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. That's going to be right. so great. I love the auto bids. They're so perfect. They'll never I like go the wrong. auto bids. We actually had five power conferences. It made sense then. The four highest ranked conference champions are usually going to be your fi- your your power conference champions. All right. It made the, sense. The the problem is usually, and you can design a system where you don't have to settle for usually. Yeah. If you have humans picking already, right? If you just have them the to, just rank them, see them. Yeah, just let them have the best ones. And when the best ones are the conference champs, when the conference champs are a top twelve team, they'll get in. And maybe sometimes you'll have the thirteenth or fourteenth best team. And they'll win a conference championship and they'll be like, okay, well, they get in because that. And they're like, okay, you know, there's judgment call there. It's it's whatever. You want the NCAA but, tournament model, which makes well, sense. No, I, I, I don't even want that necessarily. Um, but, but anyway, part of it too is having it fixed like that where you do auto bids doesn't account for changes in conferences and changes yeah. over time, right? Yeah. There's been plenty of years where auto bits would have worked. And then now you got two major conferences. Yeah. The third team in the SEC or the Big Ten is better than every team in the Big 12. That wasn't the case for the last 10 years. You know, you make these rules and then things continue to change. So it's like, just don't lock yourself into something dumb, especially when you've expanded to the 12 team playoff that allows you to get a lot more conferences in there. It's like, if you're worth getting in, you'll get in. Anyway, it's here now. The TV execs are doing great, you know, yeah. love that. Some fun facts. Uh, Carson Beck finished third in the nation in passing yards. I don't think I knew that until last night. 
He did not break Stetson's record, but of course I was counting on him having an extra game in which to do that. He did not get that extra game. He would have broken the record in that game. Um, he threw for more yards than Caleb Williams, Jaden Daniels, and Drake May, just so we're counting, and also had a higher completion percentage than all three. Did not throw for as many touchdown passes as all three, in large part because we murdered people and didn't he didn't need to. <laughs> and we also like to run the ball. We finished ninth in scoring defense and 10th in total defense, which felt like we were worse than that at times. But even a bad defensive year for Georgia is still a very, very good defense. Uh, fifth in total offense, which was crazy, 496 yards a game, and fifth in scoring at 40.1. And then, Scott, you put here we finished second in SP+. Plus. I believe Jonathan added that. But oh, if you go Jay, by yeah, if you go by SP+, plus or even the F-plus rankings, which combine with FEI, we are second just barely behind Michigan yeah. to the point where it's like less than a point where it basically says, hey, it's a toss-up. Toss-up. And if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I, who am also a huge Michigan fan, has said since since the Ohio State game that they might be the best team in the country, and I'm not sure if George would beat them. People told me, well, look at their schedule, they're soft. And I was like, yes, but I know football. And when I watch them, I see a team that's got a lot of speed and a lot of physicality and has a line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. And they'd be able to run the ball in Georgia. I don't know if we'd be able to stop them. Uh, you know, we've talked about this a lot online, offline, and whatnot. It, Michigan was the only team this year that played like a playoff team or a national title, you know, competing team week in, week out, mm-hmm. game to They're game. The most consistent team. They were, the, but not just teams can be consistent and just be consistently okay. That's fair. That's right? fair. They, That's they fair. were the only team that consistently played at a high level. Um, 2021, 2022 we played at a high level consistently. 2023, we played at an extremely high level at times, but we were not as consistent. Now, of course, we had our, let's see, if you just, I'm just go by the numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six. We had our eighth best game against Alabama, against mm-hmm. our hardest opponent. We had a very average game, right, of what Jay's we could play like. from that game. <laughs> Yeah, but we, we played to our average and Bama played their best one game of their one of their better games, right? Whatever. It's close enough. And so when you get into one game scenarios, when teams are relatively close, anything can happen. I I think, you know, and I think the numbers would back this up. And what we just said backs this up. If we play our very best and Michigan plays their very best, we win a close game. If we play our average and Michigan plays their average they probably win a close game. Their average, their median level of play was higher than ours. And we weren't consistent enough, but our best level of play was a little bit better. And and that's how you end up with the numbers that say Michigan's more consistent, but their overall rating is the same because our highs were higher, but our lows were lower. And you can't ever guarantee that you're going to go in and play your best game. Like we didn't go play our best game against Bama. We didn't play bad, you know, like there was – a lot of games this season where we played worse than the Bama game, but we didn't play our absolute best. Sometimes you just kind of play average. Michigan, ironically, played one of their worst games against Bama <clears throat> and beat them. Michigan essentially played the same game against Bama that we did. We got we got caught in a Chinese finger trap because of one game. <laughs> yep. It was because of the Bama-Texas Texas Bama. game and because Texas beat Bama. And because mm-hmm. of that, and because we lost, because we lost to Bama, you couldn't put us in without Bama, yep. and you couldn't put Bama in without Texas. And so, and so that's what happened. Yeah. Because yeah. it was, we've said before, it was this weird year where you had, 
you know, six teams that have a resume that has gotten in basically 100% of the exactly, time. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And just, that's how it was. And that's what it was. Uh, my, the Michigan, Ohio State, and Georgia, Alabama, um, they were playoff games for all four teams. And I hate to say that, but, like, that's why, as much as I was aggravated. Next, next year, they won't be. No, right? that's why I was, I was so I told people, as much as you're frustrated, you have to, if you view the SEC championship as a playoff game, then you understand that we lost our playoff quarterfinal. Yeah, but and it's it's only sometimes a playoff game. It's only sometimes a playoff game. But I'm saying and this year it, we knew it was. Well, no, we didn't know because you still well, have to, depends on the outcomes of the other games. We right? feared it might be. Yes. You, you don't know it's a playoff game until after the outcome. And that's always fantastic. It's like, hey, now that the game's over, oh, 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 yeah, it was very important. You're like, okay, thanks. But if you guys Great. remember, in 21, we said, hey, we're in no matter whether or not we beat Bama. We knew it. And we ended up laying an egg against Bama. Didn't matter. Still yeah. made it. Yep. All right. So <clears throat> the biggest news of the college football season, biggest news of a long time, is that the king of college Kirby football. Kirby is king. The GOAT <laughs> has finally hung up his whistle. Can we have a round of applause from Nick Saban's retirement, y'all? Yeah. That's yeah, yeah, yeah that's you're here. You're here. All right. Um, <clears throat> so before we get to the DeBoer thing, like I have to say this, that I've hated Nick Saban for a very long time, but it's it's sports hate, sports hate, because – And I feel like the difference between him and Bill Belichick and the way they're viewed is that Bill Belichick is viewed as a great football coach. Nick Saban is excellent in everything he does in all aspects of coaching. From the way he mentors younger coaches to the opportunities he gives coaches to rehab their careers to the mentoring he does to young men. He is excellent, not perfect, but excellent in so many areas beyond just X and O's. That's one of the reasons that I think distinguishes him from even other great coaches, NFL and college, is just the consistency over that period of time. And also the fact that he does not just X's and O's the right way, but he does so many things the right way in the way he approaches his business. I appreciate that he had one of the most, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying attitudes ever. Not in so much that they actually cheated or broke more rules than everybody, but more so... Oh, it doesn't say you can't just hire a bunch of head coaches who are getting buyout money to come be off-field analysts. <laughs> like, huh, that's not illegal. Well, there's rules about you can only have so many coaches. So obviously hiring 12 more coaches is not what you're supposed to do, but wasn't technically illegal. Yeah. So they're like, please hire me a second and third staff. All right. Thank you very much. Uncle Nick's coaching rehab. I said to to both of y'all's points, he he somehow went as far as you could go. He he got sometimes a small edge, sometimes a large edge in every single area of coaching, and managed to do that while maintaining this reputation for being a classy human mm-hmm. being. He mm-hmm. um I can remember reading The Blind Side, the the book, not watching the movie, the book by Michael Lewis, and them talking about the recruitment of Michael Orr. And they did sort of a brief kind of rundown of all the different SEC coaches that sort of came to the house in that time. And I remember them saying about Nick Saban, like when he came through the door, it was just, it just seemed like first class. Like you were talking to an absolutely like above board, like suit and tie CEO type person who like had all the answers and had everything figured out and was going to do everything the right way, you know, 
was he doing everything absolutely the right way? Uh, to oh, Scott's no. point, like maybe by the letter of the law, he probably technically was, um, but somehow he managed to push it to the limit and never really seem slimy or slippery. And this is the thing that I don't think enough people are talking about. You guys understand this. There has not been a coach better in the last 25 years of college football at adapting. Oh, every time point. there was a change to the game, he would complain about it. And then when he realized it wasn't going to change, he said, well, we're going to do that and do it better. He told people, don't do the portal. It's a bad idea. But if you do, I'm coming to take your players. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. When the in the 2010s, around 2011, 2012, when he's mad that Ole Miss is running a million plays on them and no huddling, and they couldn't beat him, he says, well, let me go get Lane Kiffin to run that here. And guess what? I'm going to put four first-round receivers and a Heisman Trophy caliber quarterback back there, and we're going to beat your brains out with RPOs and quick game. And he did it better than anybody for two or three years. And every time there was something in the game that changed, he was the first. Well, not always first. Sorry. He was the best at adapting. He wasn't always the first, but he was the best at adapting, which is why he lasted so long. And and to your point, he, he would warn you about it, mm-hmm. right? He would yeah. he, he would say publicly, I mean, like you're talking about Ole Miss as an example, when when college football was going towards more spread, and at the time when Alabama was still more sort of defense and run the ball, yeah. I mean, Saban basically said, like, like in press conferences, like, okay, is this what you want college football to be? Like, are you sure? And everybody said yes. Yes. And then it was Tua, and then what on I'm going to forget some of them on one team. He had Devonta Smith, mm-hmm. Henry Ruggs, mm-hmm. Jerry Judy. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there was a fourth was and Jalen Waddle. Maybe yep. all, all, all four, all four of them on one team with, with it was Tua, like, okay, like we, like we will spread it. Jalen hurts. Tua Jalen hurts. Mac and Jones. Mac Jones. Yeah. Right. Right. They, they recruited at a very high level. One of the things that Sapin said in his very introductory like his on a first day or something or whatever to the AD um, had some language in it. So we'll censor it. But he said, I may, uh, I may be a terrible coach sometimes, but we will always recruit at a high level. Mm. Recruiting was the first priority. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that because they hear about recruiting rankings and there's always a not highly recruited guy that, becomes an All-American and gets drafted high and goes to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and all that. Of course, there are. But all the best coaches in college football are like, hey, guys, recruiting is king. That's the biggest part. And, you know. He said it after the Ole Miss-Georgia game. He said it. We need better players. Yeah, and Shane Beamer has said it multiple times after getting whooped by Georgia. Yeah, a classic one. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, sometimes, like, you know, if you're at games and at field level too, you can really tell sometimes. But it's just like you just see the two teams get off the bus or just kind of standing next to each other and just running around warming up. And it's like, yeah, this ain't the same game sometimes. You know, it and Saban yeah. understood that. And, you know, up until recently, they changed it recently. Up until recently, you could only sign 25 guys a year, right? Everybody remember when and why that happened? It happened because there weren't limits on it. You just had to get to 85 at some point. 
Mm-hmm. And Alabama was signing a freaking boatload of dudes. And then gray shirting them. Yeah. Well, it, there used to be a website. It was run by a bunch of Ohio State fans. This was before Urban Meyer took recruiting to the Big Ten, right? <laughs> Ball budget before, ball. before Urban Meyer was in the Big Ten, recruiting was like, you know, gentlemanly. And they got mad when Urban Meyer went there and he would be recruiting guys that were committed. They're like, he's already committed. What are you doing? Like, this isn't how this works. And he's like, okay, sure. Um, anyway, so in these days, you could sign however many players you wanted. All that mattered was that you got to 85 by the time the season rolled around. And so Bama was signing lots and lots of dudes. And Ohio State fans had a website. I believe it was oversigning.com. Huh. And it was just like a running tally huh. of how many guys Alabama was signing and how many dudes should be on their roster, but like how many dudes were getting run off. And they were just, yeah. you know, yeah. this is before mm-hmm. the portal. Before yeah. the and portal. So, the portal before and, the portal. And this is where things did get shady because they would just bring in 30-something dudes a year, and every year it would just be like 10 guys are kind of like, hey, man, we're just going to yell at you and cuss at you enough until you absolutely hate your life and you're so miserable that you transfer because you're not good enough to play here. Or they stash them at a community college nearby. They did that because yeah. I know some guys that happened to. Gosh, North Cross. Um, so with the GOAT now retired, um, what are your thoughts on the DeBoer hiring? I think we've all kind of feel the same way about this. The football won't be the problem. Do we agree on that? This no, is, not this at is all. Scott's quote that he just gave, the, the story about what Saban said, you know, about – coaching football, recruiting football, both of those having to happen. I mean, that that is going to be the story of, of, of DeBoer. We all know that he can coach ball, especially offensive ball, that the scheme is going to be there. He has won every, everywhere he's been. His record as a head coach is 104 and 10 or something yeah, like that. What? Yeah, something. Yeah. So this, this no. Includes, which, David, which, includes which includes like AIA. Sioux Falls Community College or, or, yes. or whatever it was. I don't yeah, care. Yeah. It's, but the, exactly. <laughs> It, wow. it speaks Coach to ball. the level of success he has had. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, but, and, and now, right. And, and he did it at Washington. He did it at Washington, despite not recruiting mm. at an elite level at Washington, not even really recruiting at like a really good. So what, where he, the level he recruited at, at his Fresno state, right before that. Um, and at Washington where he was recruiting at those places was right about, average-ish for where you would expect those programs to recruit. Sure. Um, you know, maybe even slightly below average. Like at Washington, they finished fourth in the Pac-12 in recruiting. Okay, you're behind Oregon. You're behind USC. USC. Like that all checks out. Yeah. They were basically – Utah was 3A and they were 3B. Now, if you were just to port that over to Alabama, that still means they finish eighth in recruiting every year while he's there at Bama. Yeah. Right. And then you get a very interesting scenario of like, okay, how good of a coaching job can he do? And how good is their player development? And how good is their, how good are their evals in recruiting? Because if you can, you know, if you can consistently get good evals on lower rated players, then finishing eighth every year in recruiting might be like finishing fifth. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then if you coach and develop really, really well, then that's more like finishing third or second. 
but it's really crazy, Scott, that you just picked eight like out of the air as like a translate that to Alabama and it'll be eighth. Um, because in our pre-show discussion, I pulled a comp sort of to of the board of Brian Kelly. Yeah. Guess guess where LSU finished in the recruiting rankings this year? Probably they about finished, there. They yep. finished eighth, which right there, right? Which is like everybody's I, happy I with think, the eighth rated recruiting class. Or or are you not? If you're a booster in Tuscaloosa, are you probably not happy with the eighth rated recruiting class if that's I, what you have next year? I, I think you're not happy with eighth in general. Right. But also, like, <laughs> I think that DeBoer is probably a better coach than Brian Kelly. I think I think he is. I think he is a, a better ball coach, yeah, than than Brian Kelly. I think you're right. So that's that was with the comp. I think, Jay, you put this in there. Is that similar? And here's the thing is, what's changed in Alabama for us as Georgia fans is Alabama's now just another good team. Like, they may still beat us this year, but they're not the boogeyman anymore. I haven't looked at them that way for a few years here. To be yes, honest. but because they haven't as, played at that level. But, but the name, as long as the Saban, Saban, Saban was, was still there, there, yes, there was still always that fear that what happened in the SEC championship when you knew you were clearly better than them, or not clearly better, you knew you were better. There was always that fear, but because it's Nick Saban, he's going to find a way to ma- get that master game plan. One or two things goes funky, and you're sitting at home, and. There's not another team that when we're better than them, we worry about that happening to. There's not. Mm-hmm. They're the only one. You, we are. You, we may, one. you may still feel that way with DeBoer at Alabama because he's schematically a very good coach and they'll get yeah. the most out of their players. You know, it's it you no, know, it's it's different because part of the reason that was there with Alabama, especially like the last couple of years, is like, hey, we're a better team. But we're not a more talented team. No, they still had the talent. It was, when they we the were oil. a better team, and they had as much or more talent each of those years. They just weren't living up to it game in, game out. But because, and you know, it's a big game scenario, like, hey, it could always really click like it's supposed to just that once. That's all it takes. But to me, they become a Clemson and an Ohio State, a Michigan, and Oregon. They're there, they're in the mix. But I'm not de facto, this is the top three team in college football. I can't tell you that that's going to be the case anymore. They were like fifth or sixth in the way too early rankings before Saban retired. And they'll lose some guys the portal, um, obviously. One of which we're hoping comes to Georgia. And we're going to talk about in just a second right <laughs> Come here. on, baby. Before we get there, let's talk about our losses. And this is where you Georgia fans, if you tuned out for the Nick Saban talk, sorry, we have to talk about him, y'all. He's, I mean, one of the most impactful coaches of my lifetime in college football, and he's by far the greatest. I mean, it's just, it's not even a question of my lifetime, if not ever. But gains and losses. Jay, who do we lose? So significant losses in the yeah. portal. Uh, this is not everybody. And most of these guys really didn't play a lot last yeah. year, but maybe could have been competing for jobs this year. Austin Blasky, Jamon Dumas Johnson, Nyland Green, AJ Harris, Marvin Jones Jr., mm. Dara Smith, Xavier mm. Sori, Brock Vandergriff, and of course, mm. David, your boy, Mighty Muse, has moved has has moved on. Um, I mean, the, the, those those are the guys that, like I said, not guys that you would recognize from like a lot of big plays uh, last year, but theoretically could have been competing for jobs yeah. this year. Um, those are just portal guys. Now, guys gone to the draft. Um, Cedric Van Fran, Mar Lassiter, Brock Bowers, um, Javon Bullard, Tyke Smith, Marcus Rosamy. Um, those are some of the biggest 
um, snap getters from last year that are gone on to the draft. Um, and you also listed several of the wide receivers who lost it and played Denylon Moore, Seth CJ Smith, Jackson Meeks, and what's Haynes' last first name? I don't remember. Yazid. Yeah. 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 Um, I would say of those guys, I think CJ Smith and mm-hmm. Haynes were probably the ones that, you know, the staff would have been more interested in keeping. I would like to keep Smith. Um, you know, the one thing yeah. that, that Smith seemed to have been behind Anthony Evans okay. as far as snaps go, and Evans is a year younger. And as of right now, Aaron Smith still on the team. Mm-hmm. That's um, a duplicated skill set right there. And so, yeah, you can only have so many snaps that go to, hey, I'm just a speed guy. And so they start looking at Smith and Haynes, who are the third and fourth receivers in the I'm just a speed guy category. And, you know, that's and we you just picked that. up another one that does that really well. So um, we'll, we'll get to him in a second. Uh, Smith is, you know, was I think they're relatively high and seemed pretty promising. I think they were high on Haynes, too. He got like sick, I guess, right before the season or during the season or something, like lost a bunch of weight. And he wasn't a big guy before that so like he got buried because he was a guy that needed to put on 15 pounds and then oops got sick and lost 20 pounds so Ooh. like you're 150 pounds or whatever during the middle of the season from some illness or something and you just you know you're not gonna play as a true freshman well i i, I like the question jay i think you're at this question do we have a wide receiver recruiting problem and i have Asked this question for a while. I don't think I've said on the podcast, but I just go ahead, Scott. So it's been how many years since we got highly rated receivers? Three years. <laughs> I was about yep. to say ten years yeah. ago. No, you're right. We do get highly rated receivers. They just don't turn out to play that well. well. No, yeah, no. When, right. when we got highly rated receivers, they were good. Like when you get brought in uh, the year where you brought in Pickens and Burton and Rosemi, and you know, that's true. Those are that's all true. talented that's guys. True. That's true. Yeah, they, they were all at the very top. Yeah, yeah. when you know, so the wide receiver thing is complicated. There's a couple things all at once. One of the things, our previous offensive coordinator, Munkin, was a wide receiver guy at heart. Very much knew what he wanted. Very good at wide receiver evaluations. Very good at wide receiver development. Ad Mitchell, Lad McConkey, Dylan Bell, on and on and on. Three-star dudes that are early round draft pick type guys, good college players, the whole thing. Now, of course, when said coach leaves, okay, does the new coach still want that style of receiver? Are they still going to get the same kind of development? Whatever. So some of it is that. Some of it is big, you know, big team little me concept of how they run the whole program. Mm-hmm. That's true. Which every coach will say, but some people mean and follow through on more than others wide receiver is not always a team first position (laughs) right okay if you look at which recruiting battles on a position breakdown basis which of those battles turn into cash grab battles offensive linemen don't always have to hear i'm going to start as a freshman and here's the most upfront money. They don't have the same mindset. Wide receivers want to hear, you will start right away. You will get the ball this mm-hmm. many times. These are your stats. Like, you know, here, this much NIL up front. We're not an NIL up front program. 
We don't give it to guys that haven't done anything. We don't give it to guys that have done anything. We do not continue to engage with guys where that is their top priority. Mm-hmm. And so some of it is that. Some of it is the wide receiver stuff. It's like, hey, when the wide receivers are, you know, guys that all want it up front, that's not really how we do things. Another thing, this is just a random weird thing. State of Georgia, high school football, very, very good. Lots and lots of recruits. Not lots and lots of big-time wide receiver recruits. Go back and look at, like, wide receiver. When's the last time there was a five-star wide receiver in the mm-hmm. state of Georgia? Uh, There's not tons and tons of, you know, these kind of guys. It, like I said, it's not that long ago that we had Pickens, Blaylock, Burton, Rosemey, all those high-level dudes come in. Some of it's just been freak, you know, injury stuff. Pickens got hurt a bunch. Blaylock got hurt a bunch. Rosemey got hurt in his big breakout game. You know, Arian Smith was a highly rated guy. At the end of the day, every tight end we get turns out to be a – every highly ranked tight end we get turns out to be that good. Yeah. Why is it it like only like one out of the five highly recruited receivers that we get, even if they're not five stars, turn out to actually be that good? There's there's a gap is How good is that good? Because a lot of the times, if you're not a five-star guy – quote, that good is second to fourth round. Well, I'm more talking about, like, their college output. Like, George Pickens didn't have high-level production, but you looked at that guy and you were like, that guy is going to be a stud in the NFL. Like, yeah. There was no question that mm-hmm. when he was on the field, he was one of the best players in that field. Oh, yeah. And and Pickens, to me, is a first-round guy. And I know that he, he, didn't oh, technically, I know he didn't technically go first round, right? He went second round, but that was stupid. It was right. an ACL tear and, and bad evaluation. Yeah. And and he played at a first-round level. Some of it's the raw stats of like, hey, we there was a time when we were a run-first team, which we're not anymore. Um, there was a time when we were a run-first team, but also now we're a spread-the-ball-around team. No doubt. But again, like I'm not even talking about just raw numbers. Like, Oh, I, I know. Just when, you, when I see George Pickens on the field and the ball gets thrown his way, I'm like, that's a catch, a PI, or or, or something good's going to happen. And and he's who, he's the last five star guy we've had, and he's the last time we had a guy that played like a first round wide receiver. Other than Ad Mitchell, when he was healthy, which was never. Uh, yeah. And and my thing. Go ahead, John. Go ahead, Jay. Well, and even the transfers, right, have just sort of had kind of a troubling trend to them, right? We've been talking about Dominic Lovett all season, mm-hmm. right? It's like how come. How come the Dominic Levitt at Georgia just didn't seem like the Dominic Levitt at Missouri, right? And I, and I feel like like we're you know informed enough to be taking into account you know scheme differences and talent differences and things like that. Um, I feel like it was Scott who was he saying just like most ball. of the year, like he just he's, he's that, dropping. That's it. all it is. Like, yeah, he, he doesn't. He he's a wide receiver who doesn't catch the ball since he came to Georgia. And, um, you know, is that is that just coincidence or is it a trend? I don't know. Probably coincidence because drops are weird like that and they come in Probably bunches. Probably coincidence. And yeah. it's not like he didn't end up having six or 700 yards receiving on the season. But the biggest indictment to me on the wide receiver room is the last two years we've taken five transfers for wide receiver that are proven guys. That's mm-hmm. an indictment on the wide receiver room. Now, I can't tell you 100% whether or not it's coaching, deployment, or talent, but there is a gap between – what we are promised and what we are getting on the field. And I don't know why, but it's real. I think some of it, some of Mm -hmm. it's just a numbers game, right? We talked about how wide receiver can be a different position. 
you also got a lot of lot of wide receivers that are transferring, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing too is this: there's you know, let's say every year you bring in twenty five guys. Okay, well, how many wide receivers are you going to start a year in in a given game? We're going to start two and a half, depending yeah. on how good our tight ends are at blocking, Correct. right? So you bring in two guys one year, three guys another year. We're probably usually targeting closer to three or something. Okay, well, what happens when you got three guys and one of them flips late? Do you go out and try and go get another number, another guy at wide receiver? Or do you say, eh, receivers are easy to get in the portal. Let's use that spot on a lineman. Because that's what we do. We go, oh, we got an extra scholarship. All right, let's go look for a lineman or a whatever else. Which because is you fine. Can, you could always get receivers in the portal. Which is fine, except when the two that you get come in and their career best is 37 catches for 437 yards. That's just not good enough. And I look at a guy like a Kiaris Jackson. Kiaris Jackson was the same player as a sophomore that he was as a fifth-year senior. And that's mm-hmm. a problem for me. And he was a good player, but he's nothing special. He's just an SEC receiver. And he was an SEC yeah. receiver, but he's nothing and better. He, he lived up exactly to his ranking. He did. He did. He did. And I guess I'm just saying, I see like that Marcus Rosemary Jack Saint. Has he gotten a lot better since he was a sophomore? Mm. And his production improved. He, well, he never. You, you know he what I'm never, saying? Uh, yeah. He, he never really had the same juice after the leg injury is what I thought. But I just, I look at not just, you know, like the things you've pointed out that right, are accurate. But, but, like, but you also, they, then it's like A.D. Mitchell and Lad McConkey outplay yes. their ranking by miles Correct. right so it's like Correct. on on average you're still getting as much or more as you would expect to get out of receiver but, based on the recruiting rankings but here's my issue why is it that every single safety we get out plays their ranking or plays up to it every single one almost every single edge rusher we get david daniel was highly ranked and he cannot play the the misses are, are quote, misses, the guys that don't pan out, are there at every position. It's a numbers game. Like, Marvin Jones was very highly rated. Marvin Jones is higher rated than every wide receiver we've had, at least since Pickens. He probably was higher rated recruit than Pickens. He might have been higher rated than every receiver we've had since A.J. Green. Is Marvin Jones better at edge than every receiver we've had since A.J. Green? Well, no, no, absolutely not. So there's lots of examples of, of either way, right? And in the end... It's more or less come out in the wash. Now, where we will see this show up more is we may need a legit five-star or two absolute dude at wide receiver when you don't have Brock Bowers anymore. The fact that we had a whole bunch of good college and legit NFL-type receivers for a very well-rounded wide receiver group works just fine. When you have the quarterback play you need and you got Brock Bowers. I don't I don't know if this is actually true or not, but I feel like I've heard people talk about the fact that there does seem to be more wide receivers mm-hmm. in the portal in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just just from all schools that like more receivers are going to the portal. And to Scott's point about Georgia high school football, David, I wonder if you think this is true of high school football in general. Are, are high school receivers just hard to evaluate in terms of what they have to do in most high school systems compared to what they're going to have to do at a major college program. Every good high school receiver at a school that's not a 7A school plays both ways. When you're good at both, guess where you always get put? Defense. 
I'm telling you, like you're talking about D'Angelo Gibbs. Yeah. I coached against him at two different schools. He was as good a receiver as he was a safety. He played safety. Right. Michael Hardman, when he came right. to Georgia, what did Kirby do? Put him at corner. And then Kirby said, I was an idiot. This guy needs to have the ball in his hands. What KJ Bolden, what's mm-hmm. he going to what's he gonna play? Safety. Mm-hmm. Jake Pope, safety, who yeah. I thought was a college receiver, went to Alabama. Guess what he played? Safety. If you're good at both, which again, if you don't play in a 7A, 6A school and you're a good receiver, you play both. They all get put at defense. Mm-hmm. Don't know why that is. It's that's a that's a whole nother question to answer, but that's that's the issue is that when you have essentially a four or five star athlete, they always end up on defense. So that's what happens. Just like if they're a running back linebacker, I guess they end up playing usually running back, actually. <laughs> usually running back. But um, <laughs> but I will still and Scott and I will we will gently disagree on this, but I will still die on this hill that the wide receiver room has been underdeveloped because I still go back and I look at we're not missing our running backs. We're not. Like they don't know. That's like, who's been misses at wide receiver. Like, I'm not who, saying misses. I'm not saying misses. Right. But our running backs are all performing up to what we think or overperforming. Dejan Edwards, Kenny McIntosh. Kenny McIntosh maximized what he was. Kendall Milton did not because of injury. But by the time he got healthy, he looked like a dude. And I'm saying in the wide receiver room, Jermaine Burton did maximize what he was going to be at Alabama. So he probably would have ended up being that at Georgia. He was one that did. A.D. Mitchell did. But then I can give you Lad Clock, he overachieved. And then a bunch of other guys, we just listed seven other guys who didn't get there. That's a lot bigger than it is at other position groups, in my opinion. Now, I think the other position that would go with your argument, Scott, is what you see at corner. That would probably be the position where you can make the argument where you can see guys just that don't end up becoming what we think they're going to be. So, and it's just yeah, a difference I, in I, viewpoints. Well, and I think part of it too is just what people expect them to be. And and also part of it is just for whatever reason, the wide receiver group has had just a lot of injuries that mm-hmm. mess with stuff. Like you said, like Kendall Milton did not live up to what he was supposed to be until mm-hmm. he finally got healthy. Yep. Right. Blaylock was really good as a true freshman. So like it, ACL twice. Yeah. So yeah. people, it's like, oh, why is the wide receiver group not as good? It's like because Pickens got hurt, because Blaylock mm-hmm. got hurt, because yep. Rosemary got hurt, because Arian Smith's always hurt, because yep. hurt, because hurt, because hurt, because hurt. And that sucks, and it's annoying, but unless Munkin's out there whacking dudes with a tire iron in the knee, that's not development. That's just, no, you got unlucky. Well, when George Pickens was on the field, you just said it, he was good. Yeah, he was completely developed to what he was supposed to be. So I I will still I'm still gonna dump on our wide receiver room and maybe I'll be wrong maybe you'll be proven right that's just a matter of having some good luck and some good health yeah but, and, and I've been, I've said for uh, over a year hey when Bowers is gone we're probably gonna find out we need a big time wide receiver yeah. and you know we don't have that guy because we haven't brought in a big time five star wide receiver or you need a stud quarterback which we do have. Um, yes, it sounds it sounds like it sounds like we need to do like a ten year retrospective wide receiver episode in like <laughs> you know, oh, nothing going I've, on. You know, I've looked like, at the state maybe, of Georgia receivers yeah. over the last decade, and it's not pretty. I follow it closely too, like, but it would yeah. be good to actually pull out the numbers and things. But George, you can't look at raw numbers because, like you said, our leading receiver is going to have fifty catches every year. That's so raw numbers don't do it. Some of it is that we get negative recruited really heavily for wide receiver receivers. 
And I can see that not all high school recruits are smart. And so Evan Stewart, who is now going to Oregon, who was at Texas A&M, was a guy that we didn't really keep recruiting all the way through the process because his first priority is his TikTok account and his second priority is NIL. And, and the then, Georgia guy then. And somewhere after that becomes football, right? Yeah, he's good So <laughs> once, once it was, yeah, hasn't put up as good a numbers mm-hmm. as Colby Young or Dominic Lovett, but yeah. is extremely talented. If you, if you go back to guys we were close on, I mean, we were close on oh, Burden, oh, for example, and, like as a recent and example. you know what that like, was? Oh, that what was, if we had pushed that, that over was the NIL, end, right? And that was Missouri's yeah. state NIL laws where you could start getting NIL while you're in high school. Which a uh, lot of uh, yeah yeah yeah. How do you think Missouri has randomly kept all their big time in state five stars the last couple of years? Because they had different yeah. state laws on NIL. Other schools or other states are starting to move on to that because you know they get pressure when that happens. But <clears throat> all that to say, guys like Evan Stewart, you know, stop being part of what we're recruiting because of things like that, and it. It is what it is. So back to the the need for a dude at receiver. We took three. I'm really excited about one. Um, so the three we took are London Humphreys from Vanderbilt. If you don't remember, he's the big, fast, white guy that smoked us on a slant right early in the game. He's about six foot three. He was what, like a 10-5 or 10 100. He's got some stupid 100-yard dash time. That was legit. Yeah. Um, he is what Aaron Smith was supposed to be and what CJ Smith is supposed to be. He actually is that. He's actually done it. He is not Lad he McConkie. He is not Lad McConkie, despite the fact that he has similar melanin. <laughs> he is not Lad <laughs> McConkie. He is an ATH, and the dude can fly. Um, the other one is Colby Young. He's what we thought Rawa Thomas was gonna be this year, who is the big physical red zone guy who makes contested catches and jump balls. And he's I mean, his film is really good when you see him. I don't mm-hmm. know that he does a whole lot else better. Um, if you're not familiar with what we're talking about, think like poor man's Drake London. That's kind of the skill set. Um, he also can run up to the catch, which is something that Drake London also did. Um, and then Michael Jackson, receiver from USC, never seen him, don't anything about him. So can't tell you a whole lot. So he's, he's been, been hurt, hurt a lot. lot. He's okay. one of those dudes that he's been hurt a lot, and he's kind of low-key was actually pretty good when he's healthy, but he hasn't been healthy a lot. Then so, we got – we got Trevor Etienne, who we do know, the running back from Florida, um, a slasher, and he gives us some of the pass catching out of the backfield that we lost this year. We really missed that. Uh, we have Andrew Paul, who gives us that Kenny McIntosh vibe, but Andrew Paul was not healthy this year, not back to his normal form. He's going to give us some of that, and he's also got a lot different running style that we don't have in our backfield right now, being like that slasher, a lot more of a – I don't want to compare him to DeAndre Swift. He's not that. He's not that elusive, but he's got more wiggle than even like a Dejon Edwards. I, I was gonna say yeah, he's like that's, a rich that's, that's man. That's a good comparison. I, I, I kind of put him as uh, somewhere between Kenny McIntosh and DeAndre Swift. Yeah, he doesn't have Swift's juice, but he's got more juice than Kenny Mac. But he's got more juice than McIntosh. Yes, and I said this, but to me, I wonder if this is an indication that Branson Robinson is not close to being healthy. I mean, I mean, so, I, it may not be, but yeah, I it, wonder. It, it, it may or may not be. Um, I know some of it is just kind of a numbers thing and, and a style a, thing and, and a proven thing. Yeah. So like one of the things that they do when they look at this, the roster is they're like, this position needs to have 
six guys on scholarship and every position needs to have this many proven players coming into the season. Part of why some of these guys are coming like Michael Jackson was a like, Oh, we're losing CJ Smith. Okay. Well, we're one receiver short of the required number of receivers we need to have here. We're get this guy. And that was the same thing. Y'all told me this about my via same thing. They want to have four scholarship quarterbacks. Go ahead. Yeah. Jay. Yeah. Well, I, David, I think you're, I think you're fair to worry about yeah. Branson Robinson. I mean, he's certainly going to have plenty yeah. of time to be healthy, but I mean, I, it's a concern. I mean, to the point where, you know, we're not talking about the depth chart quite yet, but spoiler alert, I, I think ETN mm-hmm. is oh, your starting yeah. running back and, and you're hoping that Branson Robinson is healthy. You're hoping that Roger Robinson is a good enough to be like a real rotation guy. And then after that, I don't know. I'm not counting on Andrew Paul. Like, like I'm starting to look at the true freshman being like, are, are one of y'all ready? Yeah. Cause uh, what's so his like status, by the way, does he have another year? He, he's gone. He's gone. He's gone. Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember but if he got it, COVID year or not. Yeah. So David, to your point, you know, it might be an indication that Branson Robinson isn't a lock to be healthy, which yeah, because that would require knowing the future. And well, I've heard, and, I said that because I've heard whispers that his rehab is not going well. It also depends on what you tear. If you have a clean ACL tear, a clean ACL tear, like yeah, Pickens did. Your road back's a lot faster. Finishing up these transfers, we got we added Xavier McLeod from South Carolina, a defensive lineman who played a good bit for them. I don't know a lot about him, but he was going to play for South Carolina. Have you watched his high school stuff? I have not. I have, uh, this is one I have not laid eyes on. Uh, when you watch his high school stuff, you go, "Oh yeah, that's a Georgia defensive okay. lineman recruit." <laughs> yeah, and then Jake Hope, who I. <laughs> personally coached against who is I, he's another one of those where when I watched him in high school, I was like, I don't think he's an Alabama safety, but he's probably an Alabama level athlete. Cause I was like, Alabama, he's not Alabama good, but he's just, he's a six foot one big athlete. And you take those kids and figure it out later. He's the yep. kind of kid that Georgia would typically take and put at corner. Honestly, that's what he looks like when you see him. The one thing he did a really good job of in high school is he was a ball hawk. Mm-hmm. He was just a lot of ball production, pick sixes, that kind of thing. Uh, wasn't really liking sticking his face in the piles. He would do it, but like, it's not. It's not like when you watch Janelle Aguero's high school highlights. You're like, oh my gosh, this guy's a linebacker. <laughs> like, it's not. It's not. Or even when you watched um, Terry and Arnold's high school highlights, where he was in the ripping uh, heads off. Remember how uh, bad we wanted Terry and yeah. Arnold, David? Oh, and jeez. And he's not one of those, but he could definitely come in and go get five picks for us. Um, yeah. What uh, uh, pro comp uh, John Lynch Stop. or uh, John Lynch Harrison Smith or uh, yeah, yeah. Harrison oh, Smith. Eric Weddle. Uh, what do we still need, guys? <laughs> Depth wise, uh, Adam Archuleta, maybe. Oh god. <laughs> what do we still need? Depth wise, y'all stop. You know, I mean, I, I, as we're talking about Jake Pope and uh, how timely of an addition he was, um, I, I, I think we still need a safety. Especially a star type. Y'all don't like safety. y'all like Aguero um, there. If that were to become I like available, Aguero there. I think the coach is like Aguero there. I think Aguero is the starter at say at star. I think that's already done. Jay. Well, so I mean, okay. I think Aguero is a starter for sure. Um, but I, we need three, and so Starks is one, and Aguero is the other. Uh, Dan at, Jackson at either duh. position. So then who's who's Dirty Dan? <laughs> Dangerous Dan Jackson. Dirty Dan Jackson. Um. It, it, I think we're still looking for that third starter. Is Bolden ready to be the person? If he's not, um, then you're talking about Jake Pope, David Daniel, Dan Jackson, or 
or a certain smoke. transfer. Tell him what's the, what's the smoke, Jay. Caleb Downs very well could be entering the portal anytime soon. And if he is, it would almost certainly be for him yeah, to be transferring and, to Georgia. Now, or, if, or if you State. followed his recruitment, oh, oh, Ohio State would, would definitely be the other competitor. I think they would clearly be uh, in a worse position than Georgia um, because of the coaching hire that we just made. This is a big portal addition for us also. The coaching portal we got. Woo-hoo, we got Traveris Robinson from Alabama who, um, as we're talking about uh, DeBoer and what he needs, if there was one thing he needed, if there was one person Mm -hmm. that he needed to keep on that Mm -hmm. staff more than anybody else, it was Traveris Robinson, uh, mostly for recruiting, to show him around the South, to start and build these relationships. And sure enough, uh, big boss Kirby Smart just swooped right in there and took him hardly before DeBoer could even land in Tuscaloosa. And so... I think that's going to have long-term implications. I mean, he he steps right up to become our co-defensive coordinator. Uh, one of the better recruiters on our staff would have been the best recruiter on DeBoer's staff, I think, and was, of course, the recruiter Caleb of Downs. record for and one, Caleb Downs. I don't know how good of a defensive mind T-Rob is. If he's coaching secondary in Alabama, he's probably pretty good. But the one thing I will say is that I, um, I do think that one of the incentives for him coming here and getting that co-defensive coordinator – spot is by Kirby tagging him with that title pay raise huge pay raise go ahead Scott uh T-Rob coached with Muschamp for a long time he was a defensive backs coach at Florida under Muschamp he was the defensive coordinator at South Carolina under Muschamp I didn't realize he had I didn't realize he'd call plays there okay yeah okay so he is he's a real deal guy yes 100 percent so I mean, he is. If if Schumann were to leave next year, then Traveris Robinson would be, you know, our DC the year after that. He is very highly thought of. He also was at Auburn at some point, right? He was. Yeah, he was. All right. So let's wrap this up because I know we, Scott, you've got to catch a plane. And Jay and I, our kids are probably running around the house wrecking our wives. So <laughs> let's put a wrap. Let's put a bow on this. Coming into the, the next year. Um, going into this terrible schedule, you got to feel pretty good about a lot of your personnel at the skill positions on offense. Um, projecting our depth chart, Jay, I think I want to let you have this one. Give us, give us your projected depth chart, especially specifically on offense. But yeah, Doctor J's projected depth chart right now, I would have starting eleven as Carson Beck, offensive line from left to right: Ernest Green, Dylan Fairchild, Michael Morris, Tate Ratledge, mm-hmm. and Xavier Truss. Um, some question, Xavier Truss starting right tackle. Is Monroe Freeling ready to take that over? We'll see. Uh, starting skill positions, uh, if we've got three receivers in there, I would say Dominic Lovett, mm-hmm. um, Dylan okay. Bell, and Ra-Ra Thomas. Starting t- starting tight end, Oscar Delp, and starting running back, um, ETN, is how I would Yeah, and with 12 personnel, it's going to be lucky. I would wonder if it's going to end up being if it's going to end up being Humphrey over Rara. I could see that as an outside receiver, but I'm not. Yeah, London Humphrey, Humphrey. London Humphrey. I'm sorry, L- London, 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 sorry. Humphreys. London Humphrey's yeah. over uh-huh. Rara. Yeah. I can mm-hmm. definitely see that happening. But I think what you what you predicted is probably mm-hmm. the most like safe projection for what it and, would be. And I think at wide receiver, it's going to be one of those situations like yeah. we've had a number of times where you got four or five whatever guys that all rotate a bunch and play pretty similar number of snaps. And like trust could start at right tackle and, you know, Freeling could play 
50% more snaps than him. And Trust could also right? go to guard <laughs> like, when, when yeah. Freeland is playing tackle. I mean, like, yeah. that that's going to happen, too. Jay, give us the defense. So for defense, um, again, this is Dr. Okay. Jay's projection okay. here. So, um, so, so experts can disagree. And in some cases, I'm, I'm sort of bending towards the talent here. Starting defensive linemen, three of them, Stackhouse and yeah. Brinson, yeah. almost certainly, just based on their stats last year. I've got Jordan Hall see that. as a mm-hmm. starting defensive lineman. We can talk about it. Um, based on what we just did in the Orange Bowl, I've got Michael that's, Williams that's as a starting edge. In. Set that in stone. Um, yep. I, I, I would he, love it. He had his highest graded game of his career. Hmm. Mm, interesting. I, I didn't know that. Um, well, even more evidence there. Uh, starting linebackers, uh, Smile Munden and C.J. Allen. Definitely a lot of run for Raylan yeah. Wilson and Jalen Walker, but I, I wouldn't put them in the starting 11 at this point. Uh, starting corners, probably Dalen Everett and mm-hmm. Julian Humphrey. Um, and then uh, you, you got to have three safeties. As we said, two of them are Starks and Aguero. Who is the third? If I had to pencil somebody in right now today, okay. it would be Bolden. Um, but there's still a lot to happen between now and the Clemson game. And I like how you put in there, TID, uh, Terry Negan Dawkins will definitely be in the rotation on the D-line. I also. think TID probably is the starter, at least early on in the season, assuming that he's healthy. He's yeah. a guy that hasn't stayed yeah. healthy a whole bunch, but when he's been out there, he's been very disruptive. And there's so many guys we haven't even been able to mention in secondary. We're not going to go mm-hmm. through all of them here for sake of time, but like whoever does not win the battle for third safety spot, spot whoever does whoever does not win the battle for the third safety spot, you would expect to leave. David I mean, Daniel, bye. That's more than likely because Dan Jackson's been ahead of him for two years now, and I think we're going to see some. I think we're going to see an exodus in the secondary at the end of spring when guys get a good idea of where they're standing. I think we're going to lose we, some talent. We no, we have to. In order to get under eighty-five, yeah. we have to lose lose like right. quite a few more players. Well, I'm saying, thing. I think that's the position we'll will lose. Yeah. I think it'll be in the secondary. Very very possible. Well, and the 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 ceiling of the secondary is is legitimately maybe as high as we have seen in the Kirby Smart era. Now, at, with the projection I just gave, there's definitely some youth there. But the talent is off the charts. And for our loyal listeners, if you're a dog fan who follows this very, very closely, you know who the true freshmen are. You were, you know, look at recruiting rankings and that sort of thing. Um, just don't forget about Ellis yeah. Robinson. The the he's a he's a true freshman corner uh, who just started with us as an early enrollee. Boy, the the buzz meter is through the roof on him. And some people would have you believe that he is not going to be able. To be kept off the field. And who's the inside linebacker that I said that we would not keep off the field? Oh, Justin Williams. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That dude is a cat. Yeah. Holy okay, crap! So, yeah. Oh if, my god. If you look at if you look oh at Ellis god. Robinson, Ellis Robinson, and Justin Williams, those are yeah. the highest rated recruits back at cornerback and linebacker, both in the nation this year, but also for Kirby in his time at Georgia. Like Justin Williams is the highest rated linebacker we brought in. Ellis Robinson's the highest-rated defensive back we brought in. They are both guys that are, hey, look, they're measurable, say, like super high first-round pick, and also guys that are good football players, ready to play right away. Justin Williams might be better than C.J. Allen, Raylan Wilson, and Jalen Walker, like right now. Like that's a possibility. I'm there, being there, serious. Yeah, there's that's a, a reason, possibility. There's a reason all those backup linebackers transferred. Jeez. Um. So this is kind of where we're at right now. Barring, you know, the addition of Caleb Downs, 
we have a loaded roster on defense to the point where we can't even give you projections about who's going to start because A, this is going to be defense where we play 18 players regularly. And B, there's so many moving parts in our secondary. That's the one that's probably the hardest to predict, see where people are going to land. But I look forward to touching base with everybody in the spring, giving them an update on what I see, who looks good and who doesn't. Because this will probably be our last Georgia podcast for about three months until I can go watch spring practice and come back. Or excuse me, two months. So I can go watch spring practice and give people an update on what I see. And we're going to need all that talent because, boy, our schedule is a murderer's row. Holy crap. If you are a Georgia fan that is not aware of the schedule, Clemson at Kentucky, Bama, Auburn, Miss State at Texas, Florida at Ole Miss, Tennessee, and Georgia Tech, who is greatly improved. Whoa. Great time for a 12-team playoff because there's a good chance we go 10-2. And and in the old format, we'd go 10-2 and be ranked number three in the country and probably get left out because they'd knock us down to six. Whereas with this new format, I think that a two-loss season is possible. But unless we lose four games, we ain't missing the playoffs, y'all. But, man. I think – I mean, we we, we might break uh, Scott – 11-1 and one projection. 27-year uh, <laughs> streak of, of, of predicting 11-1. and one. <laughs> Any final thoughts before we wrap this up, guys? Man, the, the schedule, uh, just as you said, is is a bear. Um, I, I mean, 10 and 2 might might be the smart yeah. money at this point. Um, I mean, the question for me going into spring is, you know, if if we think the ceiling on this 2024 team is, is higher than, yes. than what we just had. Yeah. Um, it is. In 2023, we think we very well may have been the best team in college football um, who somehow got left out of the playoff. And um, yet, uh, what we have coming, especially with Carson yeah. Beck back, I mean, that was that's such what a makes the ceiling thing. national championship um, contender. With with everybody else orbiting around him and what he can do and what we saw from him this year, yeah, I, I think this year's team could be better than twenty twenty three. All right, that's a that's gonna put a bow on the twenty twenty three season for us. And thank you all for listening and following along with us on this journey. Hopefully, we will have a better year next year. <laughs> and return to our place in the throne of college football. All right. So, uh, like I said, I think my kids are running the house. Jay, I, I think you, Maggie stepped in to check on you. And, Scott, I know you got to go catch a plane to go freeze your you-know-what's-off in Detroit tomorrow. Good luck with that. Uh, yep. So, we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, this has been David Thay for the Hot Run Sports Podcast. Dr. Jay, tell the people adios. Dogs of the Sweet 16. <laughs> basketball dogs, y'all. Basketball. We're basketball fans, too. And, Scott, tell the people adios. I do really want us to get some five-star receivers. <laughs> Amen. So speak that into existence. All right. It, it won't. It won't be happening. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. <laughs>